Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Rational Standard Podcast. I'm your host Nick Babaya. Today's episode I spoke with a very prolific cartoonist in South Africa by the name of Jeremy Nell, although you may better know him as simply Germ, his pen name. Uh, Jeremy has written for a number of publications in South Africa, most mainstream media publications, although these days he tends to draw for more alternative media outlets, things like Afri Forum, the Free Market Foundation, and so on and so forth. What sets him out from other cartoonists in South Africa is he is quite avidly more to the right than them. And I say more to the right simply because most cartoonists in this country are very left-leaning. Uh, he himself is very much a libertarian, as I think you can see from his work or his Facebook page. He sort of describes a bit of his own political philosophy in this episode, but we had a very interesting chat about what it's like being a cartoonist in a scene when most people in the media are leftists, a few of his experiences with other cartoonists, how he, how he got where he was, and we even go off on a bit of a tangent talking about uh, rhino poaching and so on and so forth. A very interesting guy, very intelligent. I had a great chat. So please enjoy today's episode of the Rational Standard Podcast with Jeremy Nell. And we're here with Jeremy Nell on the Rational Standard Podcast. Jeremy, thanks very much for coming on to the show and chatting with me. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. Now, I want to start off by saying that uh, I want to tell you about the first time I actually ever saw your cartoons. I always see them online these <laughs> days and from various... You seem to be basically cartooning for every single South African organization, which I think does good. Which is very interesting, uh, because it falls into a certain political category, but we can talk about that just now. But I actually saw uh, an album of your cartoons in my school library, and I believe we went to the same school. I don't know if they contacted you or anything like that. And following that, I liked your Facebook page. I thought, jeepers, this guy's like sounding very libertarian and stuff like that. So <laughs> I was um, very interested to learn that. So... Yeah, you know, we can talk about the, you know, how your cartoons are in the context of South Africa's political climate, but just on a personal level, I wanted to ask you, uh, how did you get into this business that you are in at the moment? Uh, well, that's a great question. Um, I started off, actually, one could say, just drawing cartoons as a kid, um, as, as most cartoonists uh, can say, um, and then I went into... Uh, research and development in sort of uh, tech tech field, so nothing to do with cartoons. Uh, considering I before that studied um, art at UCT and failed. <laughs> True story. Um, and so I, I ended up yeah I ended up working in sort of uh, mobile technology for years, and I really hated that, and uh, was thankfully retrenched um, in two thousand and five. Uh, where they made my position redundant. Um, and uh, I didn't quite know where I wanted to go after that. And so I thought, well, let me get passion a go. Um, and at that stage, I didn't really have any political views or anything. I just loved drawing cartoons. And I knew no one and I didn't have any contacts media. And I just started drawing and started sending my stuff around. And it was very, very difficult. Um, it took two years, I think, before I started reading um, any any credible uh, publishing, um, which at that point um, I had a wonderful opportunity to work with uh, the Times. They contacted, they were launching, they were the subsidiary of the Sunday Times. Um, and um, from there, come to this group. Cool. Well, that's uh, very interesting indeed. I didn't realize that you actually studied art at UCT and then dropped out of that. 
Um, but it's, and failed, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I suppose in those days, it's uh, look, I, I don't know what it's like studying art at a varsity level, but I, I do I have some friends here at Rhodes who study it, and I have heard it is quite hectic. Um, you know, so now I wanted to also ask... I wouldn't you, recommend it. You wouldn't recommend it? <laughs> you know, my uncle's actually a professional. I wouldn't recommend my uncle's a professional artist, and he also studied at varsity, and he's doing pretty well now. So, but um, I suppose you have to have a kind of a passion for these things. <laughs> well, 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 sort of. Um, I, I've always said, if you, if you enjoy art, don't study it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like me, you know. I, you know, Rhodes here is most famous for its school of journalism. Now, I'm not studying journalism, and yet I've been writing since just the end of my matric year, and now this podcast was the thing that I'm doing, sort of out of my own kind of choice and i haven't studied one bit of journalism so i do think there are that's some... exactly why you're so good at well, that's that's why you're so good at it <laughs> <laughs> well thank you very much it's, it's funny how the sort of professionals in the field sometimes uh, end up being a little bit let's say pretentious but we can again come to that a little bit later when i want to ask you a bit about huffington post um now i understand now you mentioned you had a bit of a thing with the times uh, and I know you've worked mm. with some mainstream media companies. Can I just ask you to uh, say, you know, who have you worked for? And I know you have worked with the New Age, and I wanted to ask you a bit about your experiences with the mainstream media in South Africa. I worked with a large number of applications um, oh, okay. since 2007. Yeah, since 2007. So I've worked with the Times, and oh, geez, I tell you, I'll be here all day. But I've Mail pretty much worked with a lot of the, the mainstream news. Hey, I'm sorry? Mail and Guardian? No, I've not worked with them. Um, mainly because they publish once a week, and uh, Zapiro has been pretty much their stable um, for, I beg your pardon, their staple cartoonist for most most of my career um, until recently uh, when, when, when um, he left. Uh, so it's, <clears throat> and actually, it's an interesting story. Um, I might as well quickly. Uh, divert slightly and tell you this. Yeah, sure. The reason why I, the reason why I left the 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 papers isn't uh, only by choice, but because most newspapers have um, sort of their cartoonists, you know, and and to to poach is very unethical. It's not something I ever wanted. I didn't go up to the papers and say, hey, take me instead of cartoonists. So uh, I had to try and find uh, areas in which I could draw cards and get paid and that's essentially why I went very digital and very sort of internet based um, and that was a year ago already when I saw when I saw how difficult it was to try and get hired um, but you know in between all of that I have worked with as I said a lot of newspapers um, and work almost entirely online now uh, and, and, I, and I absolutely wouldn't wouldn't go back well I guess I would go back if, if the, the pay was good but for the part I prefer working digitally um, just because the, the the parameters are so much broader. Yeah, you know, it's quite interesting. I did want to ask one thing about that, because you are basically almost entirely online these days, and that's also because the mm. publications that you're working for are, I think, to a large extent, exclusively online. I can't really think of one that I know that you've cartooned for that has a print, uh, actually like a physical hard copy of the paper that they print. Um, but, you know, you know, I'm a musician, and I know a little bit about copyright law and where the concerns are with stuff like this. I, I found it quite interesting at how uh, willing, I, I don't know if other cartoonists are like this, maybe you can tell me, but you know, you, you very casually will post stuff on Facebook, on your Facebook page, cartoons that you've done and share ones that you've done. 
And now, obviously, you get commissioned by these people. I'm, I'm sure, well, you can explain it a bit later, but, um, you know, they'll say, we want you to do a cartoon about issue X, and you'll find a nice metaphor for it, and, look, I don't want to explain your own methodology. You can do that. But the, the point I'm saying is that it almost seems to me it's kind of like if a musician made songs and just, like, randomly posted them on the Internet for people to download for free. A lot of people would kind of be upset uh, with that because you, you try to make money out of these things. So do, do you think that the, you know, the world of cartooning may move more in that sort of direction that you have taken at the moment? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Um, look, I've, I've got a very conflicted views on copyright or IP law. Um, it's the one area that I, I don't think I'll ever... Um, find a, a, a black and white position on. Um, I, I, my gut feeling is to go with um, distribution instead of protection, um, my work, um, and then deal with what happens after that. Um, and I've been, I've been distributing my stuff freely uh, for over a decade, and I've most in fact, I can't think of a single incident in which I've had a problem um, financially. In fact, if anything, um, it's in, it's it's enhanced my my readership and it's enhanced my clientele. Uh, well, not, not well, not enhanced, but but expanded. Um, so, I remember a number of years back um, when Zapiro was trying very hard to, uh, to control the distribution of his cartoons on the internet. Um, and this include things like watermarks and all kinds of stuff so that people couldn't uh, sit their blogs without permission and this and that. And I remember looking at this thinking, this is so ridiculous um, because it doesn't actually affect your income. Uh, you're already being paid for it. Um, and unless the editor for who you drew that cartoon takes issue, um, I can only see it as a good thing. Um, and so I took the counter position and decided to just start distributing my stuff on the internet and see what happened. Uh, nobody for the most terms of my clients took issue with that. Um, in fact, if anything, it, it uh, helped their, their ending. Um, you know, because I would say this is drawn, this was drawn for, you know, X, um, shared wide. And that's essentially what would have happened. And I think internet has created a, a Interesting um, set of challenges to the traditional business model, um, but I, I, as I said, I, it hasn't affected me negatively at all. In fact, it's been quite the opposite. Well, that's very interesting to hear, and I wonder. You know, it does make me think if we're going to start seeing a broader move, uh, not just with cartoons, but with other kinds of media. And you know, cartoons are ultimately—I'm sure you might agree with me—like a kind of entertainment as is something like music to which there are lots of copyrights issues going back and forth arguments on on all sides. But I, I, I think, you know, one thing that I would say is that if you do a cartoon for an organization that's trying to get a certain point across and you have a very nice metaphor in, in your cartoon and when you have it on Facebook like that, it means people can just share it and immediately your reach has expanded uh, enormously and people are like, huh, you know, it's such a simple and comical way to describe something, but it, it sort of gets the message across. Um, and, you know, on that whole thing about... Yeah, 100%, the, yeah. Yeah. On that thing with the message, uh, you know, I understand that you, you worked at the New Age a bit. Um, 
I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. So the first thing is, is uh, what years were you there and how, and how long was it for? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, talk it's, about it's a wonderful story. <laughs> it's a wonderful um, piece of my, my career. Uh, age, of course, as everyone knows, is Gupta um, family. And um, I remember I was drawing ball for the time. So it was in 2010-ish, thereabouts. Yeah, 2010. Um, and they approached me and they said, look, they're launching this, this new national daily paper. Um, they want to go against the uh, current uh, media bend, uh, whatever it was at that stage. They wanted to come out uh, fiercely independent um, views, etc., etc. And I knew it was uh, going to be somewhat dodgy. And I chatted to a couple of my you know, close allies in media. And uh, I remember my one editor said to me, no, what's the worst that can happen? They can fire you. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and I, and I never forgot that. And I said, well, tell you what, I'll take your position as long as you... I can guarantee me editorial independence with my work. And they said, yes, it's exactly what we want. Um, and the truth is I thoroughly enjoyed um, work um, for them, uh, despite the, the hatred that they um, eventually received. Um, I wouldn't ever buy the newspaper and support um, the editorial position, but um, it challenged me quite a lot because it gave me a lot of restrictions within which to work, um, which I find lovely because sometimes if you put maximum freedom, you end up becoming very lazy. Um, and I, I quite enjoyed having very tight parameters within which to work. And I believe this is what um, led me to win my two first major awards, um, the Vodacom Journalist of the Year, uh, both uh, regional and national, in which I'm, I'm Zipira and all the other major cartoonists. And I was you know, that was for the new age. As a matter of fact, as I can remember, I was, and I think I still am, the only contribut contributor to that newspaper who's ever won an, <laughs> an award. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, and in 2012, um, I started becoming quite a lot more aggressive um, with my satire uh, towards the president, and they becoming a lot more protective. And so that started leading up to... Uh, um, split um, and at which point um, they wanted to try and control my, 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 my material and I didn't want them to um, and I kept refusing uh, and which led them to fire me uh, and yeah so that was about two years that I worked with them. Could, it, could you sense from right at the beginning of the new age that there was a bit of a pro-Zoomer uh, agenda that was going on because you know back then in 2010 I mean he had scandals and stuff like that but not to the same extent as he did in the second half I would say of his of his presidential tenure um, could you see that there was a bit of a thing going on behind the scenes or perhaps you didn't yes absolutely didn't. oh you could no okay. absolutely but yeah of course but but remember something um, and I'm not defending them uh, at all but because they were being viewed as a pro-Zuma um, publication, uh, they wanted their editorials um, to be very critical so that they could appear very balanced. Um, it meant that they did welcome um, the satire that I was producing, if you, if you follow. Yes, yes, I know what you mean there. Yeah, uh, but eventually it got too much for them. 
Well, that's quite interesting indeed. Because, you know, I mean, mm. uh, it would almost describe... I mean, his presidency got more and more embroiled in various scandals as time went on. I think various political satirists were having a heyday with Jacob Zuma. Um, I actually remember watch, uh, seeing a small cartoon in 2008, just after Barack Obama was elected. Um, it was like a cartoon, and in it were a bunch of people, and there were labels on them. It was like comedians, political cartoonists, journalists, blah, 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 all crying because now Bush had gone, and they couldn't make fun of the U.S. president anymore. Um, <laughs> so, oddly enough, it's you guys seem to benefit I from yeah. Well, the thing is, I was I was quite happy when 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 Obama became president because I knew a number of his positions, um, and I didn't agree with a lot of his positions. So it was great for me. Um, and I mean, I was consistently critical throughout his his two terms. Um, I didn't really ever change my position on him. Um, so that was great. That was great material for me. Um, but I know that I was one of the few um, cartoonists uh, who was very critical, and most cartoonists loved him. Did, did you actually get a lot of uh, opportunity to publish cartoons about Obama in South African, uh, you know, publications? Oh, plenty. Yeah, no, I love drawing him. He was great fun. <laughs> cool. Well, the second thing I wanted to ask uh, is, you know, can you tell me a little bit about the process of drawing a cartoon? Now, uh, before this is, you know, I, I've just from having seen a lot of cartoons, I know that a lot of it has to do with metaphors, often things will be described using a different situation and you guys like to label things in a certain way. But, uh, you know, if, if somebody approaches you and says, we want you to draw a cartoon about issue X, uh, how do you go through that process? Mm, okay, well, uh, just to going, going back to what you said there with metaphor, etc., um, those are what's, uh, what we call vices. Um, so you, can, you might have a metaphor, you might have... Um, uh, a pun, or you might have a parody. You know, these are all things um, that that you would use to to exaggerate. Um, normally, the whole point of a cartoon is to take something to the absurd. Um, yeah, the humour comes. Um, I love what you said earlier when you when you called it entertainment because that's precisely what I call it. It's, it's entertainment. It is. Um, they're funny. <laughs> yeah, it's not, but it's not meant to give solutions. Often being criticised for for. For, for criticizing but not giving solutions, but and that's not really my position. Um, <laughs> exactly. And so, so, so to, to answer your question about the process, um, ach, well, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, I don't really get told what to draw. I, I might, I might get told or or given suggestions of general topics. Um, uh, what I don't know. Let's say um, climate change or whatever it might be. Um, and depending on who, for who I'm drawing, I'll, I'll also take cognizance of that because if if I don't agree with their or my client's position on a particular talking point, I possibly will avoid that topic altogether because I don't want to do something which is going to against my own integrity. Um, or I might do something that's very middle of the road um, that that we interpreted um, in multiple ways. So so. One of the um, aspects of drawing a cartoon is obviously writing the material and to and to think front. What is what is my message? What am I trying to say? Um, and I've always taken um, the angle of simplicity. Um, I prefer having less uh, uh, to say to draw less 
um, as opposed to saying more and drawing and overcomplicating um, matters. This obviously does lead to other complicated because people will, will see that one message and then think you're saying a whole lot of things and, and, and uh, encouraging uh, or suggesting other things when you're actually not. Um, but nevertheless, that's just part of the territory. And then once I've kind of got my idea and my message, then, then I work out what I'm going to draw and I draw it. Um, and, uh, and then I'll chat with the, with the editor uh, for the most part. Uh, these days, I mean, I've, I've drawn what nearly uh, around about six or seven thousand cartoons. For the most part, I know, I know where I'm going. I know how it's going to look, and I, was, I know how it's going to end, and I know pretty much what the editor's going to say, um, just based on experience. So, so that whole process is a, is a few hours, depending on the complexity of the cartoon. Well, very interesting to hear. And now, with that in mind, I want to ask about one cartoon you did recently, which I like very much because I actually. Uh, and this is the cartoon that you did about Urania. Um, and I like that very much because I felt exactly the same. I was there a couple of weeks ago and I thought, geez, you know, this thing is, is kind of analogous to any other cultural community, which perhaps if they were not Afrikaners, we would uh, not uh, say such horrible things about them. Uh, I would encourage people just to go look online about the cartoon you did for Urania. But, you know, to use that as, as an example... Uh, did they approach you and say, hey, we want you, you know, there's obviously a double standard going on here. Can you, can you cartoon that? Or did they just say, hey, do a cartoon for Urania? Or are you not allowed to? Are you mm, not allowed to yeah? No, they, they, didn't even, they didn't even approach me. Oh, did um, you just do that? I, no. <laughs> Sorry, no, they no, paid no, they shared it. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, they didn't approach me. Um, no, look, I, I, uh, there's a, there's a whole context here. Let me try and summarize it. Um, in the last couple of years, I've I've changed my my general direction of satire to uh, law speaking, the big talking point, rather than um, going into micro politics. There are cartoonists focusing on micro politics and and very uh, intricate issues, um, and that's fine. Um, I'm I'm focusing on on things that I find particularly interesting. Um, Inspired a lot by media and um, the news that I see, and in the last couple of years, I've seen a, a definite uh, rise in what seems to be a hatred for all things Afrikaans. Now, I'm not Afrikaans. Um, I don't have a dog in the fight, but I do see an interesting standard that's that's uh, that's growing and perpetuated by by various political leaders. I don't like. Because as a South African, I believe in a prosperous and better future for all South Africans. I don't believe in segregating simply because of a history that um, that some people are not even part of, or they're just, you know ancestors of it, or so um, their ancestors created something that that they today are not necessarily guilty of. Um, and and I constantly see. Um, you know, Orania is, is this is this poster child of of racism and and segregation. And the weird irony is that it is um, yes, it might have lots of racists, but it's Cape Town, and so does Joburg. So does Pretoria. That's it, what the guy said there. <laughs> um, and so 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 for me, I I try and look beyond that. And I, well, I see something else going on here. I see I see a small group of people who want to determine their own future in a part of the country that nobody cares about, and they're, peaceful, and they're not harming anybody. 
Now, I see that happening in KZN as well. Um, and I think it's wonderful. Um, it doesn't harm me. Um, and and so let them, let them let them be free to do what they want as long as they're teaching nobody. And I will be free to do what I want. And I certainly don't want to live in Aranya. Um, but I have no problem with, with people choosing to live there and, and creating a little future for themselves. Yeah, well... You know, again, I'm, I was a little bit surprised when you're like, no, they didn't even approach me, I just did that. Because it actually summarized it so well. What you said there really did summarize it so well. Well, I won't go back in, in, into the issue of Verona on this on this episode here, but, you know, I've written an article on National Standard about it. Um, now, I want to ask another slightly more maybe controversial question. Um, can you t- tell me about times when either you have or hypothetically you would refuse to draw a cartoon? Uh, I remember Senrail once once wanted to do a cartoon um, to to show the good Etols. Um, I turned down. <laughs> Senrail wanted to show the goodness of Etols. Yeah, but yeah, um, and uh, I was interested. Um, and uh, we think back now. Um, um, look, um, I suppose if I were to do a cartoon. Uh, oh, hang on! You've caught me off guard. No, I've, I've quickly. Um, no, it's all right. Okay, let me let me let me rephrase my answer a little bit so that I don't waste too much time here. Um, okay. If I get if I get asked to do a cartoon on a, a talking point with which I don't agree, I'll as I said a few minutes ago, I'll probably not do it, or I'll try and change the angle. So, um, if okay, so yes, one. Uh, I. Uh, was approached to to do a cartoon about um, the good work that the government doing in the education sector. I probably won't do it either. I don't think they're doing a very good job. Uh, I was approached by by ESCOM uh, or SAA for that matter. Um, mind you, I've done work for for Kalula, um, and that's fine. But um, but I probably won't do work for SAA, uh, depending on what they want me to do. Um, because for the most part, I choose my work. That makes sense. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, you can choose who, what offers to, what uh, jobs to take and what to not take. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, like, I mean, uh, likewise, I think if I was in a position like that, and even if somebody said, here's money, advocate this position, I, w- I would also, you'd be lying to yourself effectively if you, I think you, you did something like that. So Yes, but I'd, I'd also be damaging my future. Right. Um, because because eventually down the line, um, someone would go, yeah, but why did you why did you draw a cartoon about this? Were you just in it for the money? Um, and and I I do have a clinical view. I mean, yes, of course, everybody does everything to earn a salary. Otherwise, wouldn't be able to do what you okay. You are, wouldn't be able to be a cartoonist. Um, you know, a decade later, um, if I wasn't earning an income, but there's a very fine balance between um, getting paid. And doing, uh, at least in terms of satire, doing doing what you um, support. Um, I certainly could never uh, draw cartoons, let's say for um, the ANC. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Even if they offer, even if even if they offer me meg bucks, although I think very very heavily about it, <laughs> um, I would probably say no because it might mean that I have no future with other state. They'll turn around and say, oh, but you for the, for the ANC. 
Uh, how can we trust you now? It's a very intriguing way of, of thinking about this. I have to say, you know, I'm not in your line of work. I'm just still studying. But but if I was, I might be tempted to be like, yeah, it doesn't, I don't, I don't really mind who I'm cartooning. Unless it, the organization was like truly reprehensible and even just associating myself with them would, would be a really damaging thing for my career. I might be tempted to just be like, yeah, I'll give me the money. I'll do whatever you like. Whether I believe it or not, but, <laughs> but I think you make a good point. It's probably not the wisest decision uh, um, to make. But as you said, you have your own political views, and I believe your own political views, which are probably quite similar to mine in many ways, but not very similar to a lot of other cartoonists in South Africa. So, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you sarcastically, what's it like to be South Africa's ultra-right cartoonist? <laughs> and, and well, it's funny I, you should say that. Yeah. Uh, because uh, for Ashley, who was the former editor of the Huffington Post, actually tweeted saying that um, I am um, South Africa's own alt-right. But he also included um, a couple of other guys, Aaron Stokes and um, Ramon. And Ramon, and Mac, yeah. From the, from the Renegade Port uh, <laughs> as, as South Africa's own alt-right. Um, and she was brutalized on Twitter for saying that. Uh, because the, the, the joke is nobody really knows what alt-right even means. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw... But it, yeah, I keep going. Sorry. Uh, no, no, you go. No, I mean, like, today Huffington Post just posted an article about AfriForum in America again. They've been on a bit of a rampage on ever since AfriForum's gone on this trip to the USA. And they accused, or in it, they, they said that Tucker Carlson, you know, who's like one of the most watched uh, news guys in mainstream media in America, is pro-white supremacist, or white nationalist, sorry. And the, the hyperlink they gave to it was something about someone he talked to who was in favor of Pizzagate. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it is kind of bizarre, the, the level which slurs are, are, are getting thrown out. Um, but that can have real-world effects. So now, obviously, I think you're fairly unique in, in being a bit more on the, the libertarian, perhaps conservative side. I won't characterize your own political views. Um, but has this led to you... Uh, having a bit of a niche market per se, you know, in the alternative media, which I, I know you are currently in. And as I mentioned at the beginning, it seems to me that every single organization in South Africa that I like seems to have a cartoon made by you. <laughs> um, so have you carved <laughs> out you. a bit of a niche, a niche market there? I think I have, yeah. Um, and sort of by, by chance, uh, in, in, in 2016, um, I I decided to, as it were, come out. <laughs> I um, for, for for most of my career, I've tried to be like every other cartoonist, uh, mysterious and very middle of the road, and not taking any position and trying to satirize all people equally and 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 uh, to go, hey, I'm 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 in the middle of everything, um, and I just found myself getting bored um, of that, and I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I want to actually come out and, and show my position as being very critical of the left, generally speaking, the radical left. Um, and, and also it was kind of enhanced by, by Trump becoming president um, because, you know, I, if, if you thought the politics were, were quite extreme during Bush's presidency, it got even worse during Trump's, Trump's presidency. I mean, people have become so hysterical and sensational, it's unbelievable. Um, and and I just thought, you know what? I want to come out against this. I'm going to push back. Um, I want to I want to 
I don't I don't side with any of this nonsense. I want to really just make make a mockery of it um, and bent my view in a, in a, in, a, in a much more um, uh, cemented um, position. And so as a result, um, I started finding um, organisations, not really newspapers, because most of the mainstream media is very left wing. Um, I started finding organisations that were not necessarily left wing, but um, you could say centrist or even or even, even right wing, depending on on how you want to interpret that. Because I, I know that when you say right wing, it, people seem to have a very negative view of it. Um, but it just depends on on what the definitions are. Um, but but I'm basically I've been uh, moving away from the mainstream since 2016 and and going into into this lovely term called alternative media, um, where you can actually be independent once again and you can um, attack. Um, the holy house that you can't really do in the mainstream. And the irony is that the mainstream, by and large, tries to present itself as completely independent, and it's not. Um, and I know that you mentioned to me before the before this chat that you want to uh, highlight the idea of the polarization of the media. Yes. And I might as well just quickly, might as well just quickly go to that because it's related. All right, perfect. Um, um, I think it's a good thing for the media to be polarized. Um because, because then you know what you're going to get. Um, one thing I will say about the New Age is, even though I don't support um, the paper, at least you know what you're going to get. Right. When you have a newspaper like when you have a newspaper like the Mail and Guardian that is trying so hard to be neutral and independent, they do exactly the opposite, and you can see right through them. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with you there. I mean, the publication I'm with, Rational Standard, are unapologetically of a uh, libertarian, or we like to say freedom bias bent. Ben Shapiro yeah. made a very good point about this, actually, one of his, I don't think it was a podcast of his, it was some conversation where he said, you'll find that conservative Americans hate CNN much more than they hate MSNBC, because MSNBC is very openly liberally biased, whereas CNN is this news company who sort of flew under the radar in terms of their political biases. I think a lot of people, while they may have suspected a thing or two of certain people, it wasn't really until the 2016 election where they were just like, okay, like to hell with this. We are going full anti-Trump. And the response was like Trump got to like get chants going at his rallies against CNN. Like CNN has become so hated now simply because they're this supposedly neutral news organization who are blatantly not neutral. Um, and I agree. I think it's a broadly a good thing, and you know what you're going to get. And I hope Huffington Post also goes that route and just admits that they're, you know, on on the left side of things, uh, because I think they're, yeah, they're, yeah. And and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, um, they'll, exactly. they'll get their support and they'll get their criticism, um, and that's a good thing, I think, um, because own it. Yeah. No. Exactly. And you'll get far less hate. I would I would say as well. And you can also what I quite like to do is you know, uh, back in the day. Whenever some major event happened, let's say a shooting or a crime or something happened in the political world, I always used to say, read what they say about it on Breitbart and then read about what they said on BuzzFeed. And whatever's common between those two, you can probably uh, take, you can probably make sure that that's the truth. Um, yes, the funny thing. Yes, the funny thing. Um, I get accused all the time of being right wing and conservative and all that, and that's okay. I don't mind. Um, I'd much rather be accused of being right wing than being left wing. Yes. <laughs> um, um, but what's funny is that 
and many times people have said, yeah, you must be reading Breitbart and, and, and whatever and listening to Alex Jones, etc. I never listen to Alex Jones. I never read Breitbart. Um, I probably read CNN and the New York Times more than, more than most lefties. Um, and the, the, the irony is that, is that I don't read um, what would be considered, you know, far right or right wing publications. And I don't really read um, left wing. I just go with whatever Google News is, is headlining with, you know. Um, and if it's, if it's CNN, then it's CNN. Um, and I always will take uh, what, what I read with a pinch of salt. But it doesn't mean that I don't read them, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I know 100% what you mean there. And I, too, even though my political views are very much libertarian to conservative, uh, I, I think there are some fantastic, more left-leaning uh, news outlets, who, although you know, they do have a bias which might be different to mine, I can still appreciate their journalism. I think the Chicago Tribune's a really great one. I think occasionally the Washington Post has actually got some good articles. I know the Washington Post gets a lot of hate, but I've actually I actually see some good stuff there sometimes. And MSNBC, I I, I like watching uh, Morning Joe is one of my favorite programs. Albeit Joe Scarborough was a Republican, um, but you know mm. the, the the balance that they have on that uh, panel show is I think great. It's always it's a fairly reasonable conversation, and I also like to mention I don't know what do you think of Bill Maher. I mean, the guy is, is obviously... I, I, don't, I don't mind him at all. Um, I, I don't agree with a lot of points, but I absolutely don't mind him. Yeah, likewise. I mean, like, I, I don't think I have very much in common in terms of politics with Bill Maher, but one thing I love about his show is that, first of all, I think he's quite a funny guy, but he almost always has at least one, either a Republican or a conservative or libertarian someone or something or other on his show, and it always makes it a very, very interesting uh, to hear the panel discussions that they have there. So I think I think that kind of thing is really respectable. What's not respectable is obviously when you say, yeah, you know, we're just here to to give the facts. <laughs> lot of, yeah, well, exactly. And and you're talking about political um, positioning and all that, right? So and a lot of people have tried to pin me down over the years. And here's the thing, right? I, I don't like labels. Um, I only use labels for the purposes of humor and for the purposes of stats, uh, but... Um, in, in all honesty, I see people as individuals, which is probably um, a libertarian thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but I, I look at. I, I did a, I did a, I did a talk once uh, a few months ago, um, in which someone was was talking about left and right politics, and I said, you know, I base my cartoons on a set of values or a set of principles that I hold close. If those values or those principles align with left-wing politics, then so be it. If they align with right-wing politics, then so be it. Um, I don't go according to um, some political graph. I go according to how I see the world as an individual. And if I see unions as harmful in the, the scheme, then that's how I see it, if that makes sense. And I yeah. and I am critical of unions. I'm, I'm generally pretty opposed to, to um, unions. But I, I do support... Their existence. Um, I think that there is some good that, that they have historically brought about. Um, I'm not terribly sure about um, their general um, existence, um, but but again, um, I, for example, love the fact that Trump became president. Does that make me a conservative Republican? I don't know. I'm not American, so it wouldn't matter. But I, I love how he turned politics on its head, um, and I love how he completely and utterly um, ruffled the feathers of the media. Um, because the media tends to be very self-righteous and ex- extremely arrogant, um, and it's wonderful to see it taking taking a beating by 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 um, the president of the most powerful country in the world. Um, 
And uh, I'm not necessarily a Trump fan. I don't agree with him on a lot of his policies. I, I don't like protectionism. And I'm, you know, I would agree with left-leaning people on borders. I'm not really in favor of, you know, uh, national borders. Um, I, I tend to like the idea of people able to move around freely. Um, so when, when people say you're right-wing, I go, well, let's do an asset test. What are your views on prostitution? Well, I, I think that <laughs> yeah. I think prostitution should be legal. Um, they should not be treated as criminals. Okay, now if I were a right, if I were a right-wing person, I would probably go, no, 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 no. My religious conviction is that prostitution is evil, and we need to keep it under wraps. Well, sure. I'm not saying that you must go to a prostitute, but I'm also saying these girls need protection, and the only way you pick them um, is by legalizing it. Otherwise, they will stay stay working in the in the alleyways in the shadows. Um, okay, let's do another as a test. How, what's your view on drugs? Well, I think all drugs should be legal. Um, I don't think all people take drugs, and I will try and persuade you not to take coke. Um, but um, I'm not going to ask the government to come and arrest you if you're going to take coke. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, exactly. It's based on peaceful freedom. That's really the basis for these kind of views. It doesn't matter if you don't like doing it yourself. It's just you would not stop somebody else from doing it. No, exactly, exactly. Great. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think that rhino horn trading should be legal. And and most people I speak to immediately start they start getting uncomfortable and their jaw starts getting a joint and they go, but 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 what about the rhinos? Yeah, well, that's exactly why I think that rhino horn trading must be legal. Um, because if you want to save the rhinos, you need to increase their numbers. And the only way you can increase their numbers is by trading in their horns, cutting their horns in advance so that they don't get um, hacked to death for the horns. You know, um, and yeah. I know nobody wants to see a rhino without a horn, but for the time being, it's the only way you can save them. You need to, you need to farm them. That's, that's exactly why chickens and cows are not endangered because they're farmed. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's just, it's just an economic principle. And I think a lot of people get too emotional. On the issue of, of rhino horns and hunting has been mm. the one which I went on a bit of a crusade because I'm actually very much in favor of hunting. Since living here in the Eastern Cape, I've gotten to know the sort of game farming community and I've gotten a very keen understanding of, of how the business model of a game farm works. And I've also really understood very well, you know, how hunting and, and stuff like that uh, actually is, is really good for conservation and... My friend was telling me in countries in East Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, they've just had these massive uh, wipeouts of the elephant population because there's no way to uh, get, you know, hunts legally. So, like, I always like to say, if, you know, if something won't happen legally, it'll happen illegally. Um, but, yeah, no, I think I think what you've described there is very good. It's, it's ultimately a set of values. And from those values, exactly, yeah. you, you, you... Which, which are based which are based on individual freedom. Right, right, exactly. So it's almost like I actually heard a very good talk recently which was talking about how do political doctrines come. And it, it's the very ground level is a philosophy. So you could say the philosophy there is, is individual freedom. And then, okay, what are the practical realities of that? What means this, this, this should be legal? Can we group that into a framework? And then you can start talking about am I a libertarian, am I a whatever... Um, mm, exactly, but but it's also it's also there is evidence to support um, a number of the things that, for example, I'm saying. So we know that in Portugal, they they decriminalised uh, most hard hardcore drugs, um, and ten years later, when they when they had a look at their drug situation, they found that drug abuse had more than halved. Um, and I mean that's that's official that's official government um, data. 
Yeah, yeah. And there's also been experiments, like I think Switzerland had an experiment with uh, putting clean needles, putting sterilized needles in public bathrooms. Uh, it did what did, and, you know, the opposite is done in some places where they actually have blue lighting so that you can't see your veins. And it's like, you know, some, sometimes <laughs> just thinking a little bit out of the box, just, just doing something which is slightly counterintuitive. Uh, but, I mean, but, I mean, having said that, having said that, at the end of the day, I can't... I can't find a reason why the state needs to be involved in one's private life. I mean, if you want to marry three men and one woman all at the same time, while I would persuade you very much, try to persuade you not to do that because one one wife is enough, um, <laughs> um, go go ahead and do it. Um, uh, you know, go ahead and do it. And and, and while the state get involved with that, um, the state should not be a moral authority ever. Yeah, I know, exactly. And I think the, the, the reason why a lot of pe- people have got these very emotional, you know, when you talk to somebody about things like rhino poaching, you go, yeah, no, I think it, it should be legal. Like the initial reaction is just, it's not like, well, let's think about this in a practical way. It's like, oh my goodness, you are an animal murderer. Um, and I think sometimes you just have to have the ability to think slightly out of the box. Um, yeah, no. but that whole animal murder thing is bizarre because because they're happy to call you an animal support of animal murder while they're enjoying the hamburger. Right. So where, where did that where did that burger patty come from? And let me tell you something also: um, a clean a clean shot to to an animal is a lot lot more ethical than an abattoir. Um, if you if you go on a hunt and and you and you do it correctly, um, you. Number one, are not going to go for the strongest animal um, because you generally be allowed to because they need that for for you know for, for future offspring. Yeah. Um, and and secondly, um, it's unethical uh, to to well in my opinion it's it's revolting to 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 see what happens at, at an abattoir. I mean, if, if you've been to one, you'll know. I, I went to one last year. I wanted to go see for myself, and it was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and 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 then these uh, sort of morally superior people all over social media get upset when you when you favour hunting over over that kind of um, over that kind of uh, you know uh, abattoir slaughterhouse death. It's 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 very very strange how people have this um, what's it cognizance. Um They think that their burger patty comes from Big and Pay. Yeah, no, and, and that's. There's a, there's a phrase uh, I heard once when somebody was describing someone who said, you know, he's the kind of guy who thinks that uh, chicken uh, chicken nuggets come from McDonald's. <laughs> you know, and it's that kind of thing. It's, it's an inability to think beyond a certain level of analysis, which is unfortunately plaguing the country. And, you know, thinking but of... Let's, but, yeah. Yeah, but let's carry on, let's carry on with, that, with that line of thought. Yeah. So you're sitting with... The Kruger National Park is now sitting with... Um, overpopulation of elephants to the to the tune of around about ten thousand. Okay. Yeah. Are, in other words, there are ten over ten thousand elephants too many in the Kruger National Park. Now, you have these these emotional groups that go, well, you can't shoot them because they're majestic, beautiful animals. Okay, fine. But ten thousand too many elephants are, according to National Geographic, slowly destroying the landscape of the Kruger National Park. The trees in the in Kruger. On average, something to the something to the effect of half a meter shorter um, uh, than what they were 20 years ago, because they're not they're not given a chance to go to the full potential because elephants 
are very destructive. Um, secondly, no one wants to buy elephants because they're extremely um, expensive to move, and they're also very difficult to move. Um, and you're talking in the region of a thousand US dollars to move a single elephant. I times that by ten thousand. Um, Addo Elephant Farm in the Eastern Cape has already got too many elephants as well. Yeah, um, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and 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 to take them across the border is even more expensive and even more dangerous because elephants don't do very well um, in, in long trips, and you can't you can't just move them. You need entire teams, and you need helicopters, and you need vets, and and conservationists, and all kinds of stuff um, just to move a single elephant. So now what? So now, so now what do you do? You can't open the borders. Kruger tried that. They've tried opening some of their borders to let the elephants row across. But then you, the problem of, of immigrants um, illegally running across through the, through the Kruger, you also find that the elephants, who are quite smart, um, have realized that they get poached. So they stay um, on this side of the border. So the Kruger have, have closed and opened and closed and opened various borders to see what, you know, what behavior the elephants engage in. At the end of the day, legal hunting is going to conserve the elephant's future. Uh, and you, you'll, you'll never take out 10,000 elephants with, with legal hunts because you only have a few that get selected each year. But at least the money that comes from that will go towards trying to figure out what to do with all those extra elephants. Yeah, no, exactly. And at the end of the day, and you mentioned money there. And, you know, I think a lot, a lot of people in South Africa live in this hunky-dory world where we don't think, do things for the money and, you know, we just do it kind of for the love. But at the end of the day, money is just a mere representation of, of work and of the thing, something that can satisfy the needs and wants of humanity. And when you just think of the economics of the situation, uh, you think about how much money can be made by the hunt of one animal of some type and then that money can be put back in towards conserving more. Um, exactly. As soon as you get past that single level of analysis, which is wow, 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 I don't want to murder animals. You know, you just think think one level above that, and you, again, immediately we start to um, answer a few problems. Um, yeah, but so, anyway, I, I apologize. I was off on a tangent there. <laughs> no, 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 it's all right. I actually had a nice segue. So what I wanted to say was, you know, speaking of people who can't really think outside of the box, how's your relationship with other cartoonists in South Africa? Um, not very good. Um. So, so I've heard of a few things before, and I've seen on Afrikartoons on their Facebook page, they're not overly fond of you, hey? <laughs> it's quite, it's pretty, actually, well, it's, well, okay. it's, go, yeah, sorry, yeah, well, let's, 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 just, let's just look at this for a second. Um, the overwhelming number of cartoonists in the country um, are, are very left-leaning and are very um, intolerant of, uh, of views that are uh, not like their own. Um, and um, I've had a number of uh, public battles with with Zapira, for example. Um, he he himself classifies uh, his work as as left wing and progressive, to use his own words. Um, and um, and although I've also um, categorised him as a populist, um, he is. Let me state for the record, he is a brilliant cartoonist and probably one of the best cartoonists that South Africa will. Well, they have, um, and although I don't agree with a lot of his views, um, I still think he's an outstanding cartoonist, um, and he's, you know, he's definitely worthy of, of, of the status that he has. However, with that in mind, um, he and I uh, battle um, in the in the world of ideas, um, and we have for a long time. Um, 
he's not very fond of me along with the other cartoonists and he has as well as other cartoonists who align with Afri cartoons for example um, have called me alt-right and right-wing and far-right and all kinds of all kinds of labels but what's interesting is it was never like that um, 10 years ago for example uh, when when Afri cartoons started as this wonderful sort of central um, hub um, which would make it easy to find South Africa's cartoonists, because generally speaking, cartoonists are, are, are useless when it comes to uh, social interaction. Um, you know, I think I think most cartoonists have learned how to use a computer only in the last five years. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> They're very much introverted. Yeah, or what? Very introverted. Tend, tend to be very introverted and not very good socially. I'm not very good socially either. Um, what are you doing but, fine so far? <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Um, <laughs> But, but cartoonists, for some strange reason, political cartoonists in South Africa are scared of discourse uh, when, it, when it goes beyond their cartoons. Um, and as I said, it, it wasn't always like this. For some reason, it's become more and more apparent um, that you can't engage in any kind of uh, political um, debate with, with most of our cartoonists. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with with the sort of cult-like um, positioning that Africa cartoons has has um, sort of created for itself, um, because I know the owner very well, and he's a good guy, and he's a very good um, writer uh, of cartoons. He, he writes the, the cartoons for EWN. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, and but he has publicly stated that he uh, finds me very offensive, um, and he. Uh, and he has taken this position in the last couple of years to not criticize um, local cartoonists, particularly black cartoonists. Now, I find that horribly condescending and somewhat racist um, uh, because because the, the position as a white guy not to criticize a black person um, is, is, is very, very quickly um, sliding down the, down the slippery slope of identity politics. Yeah, it's the soft bigotry of low expectations. I think that was coined by Maji Nawaz, although I might be wrong there. But it's exactly what yeah. it is. It's exactly what it is. Um, I, I look at the work and I will criticize the work, irrespective of who's drawn it. Um, and I think that criticism is what keeps us in the realm of excellence. Um, but when anybody gets a gold star simply because they a cartoon, that that quickly descends into mediocrity. Um, and I think the general quality of, of South African political cartoons has gone down a bit. I definitely think that most cartoonists are quite me- mediocre. Um, and I get called a racist for saying that because a lot of the cartoonists are black. Um, but it's got nothing to do with their skin color and it's got everything to do with the quality of work. Um, and a lot of a lot of South African cartoons, and you'll find them on African cartoons. I don't mean to diss African cartoons, although I don't have a good relationship with them. But it's a good place to find the cartoons. But you'll notice yourself if you go and scroll through the cartoons that the cartoons are very very bland, often not making a good point or any point at all, just making some sort of bland joke that doesn't really make you think. Um, and that's what I've been sort of railing against in the last couple of years is to try and make my points fresher and, and more prominent in my work, um, which is related to what I said earlier in the discussion. I said I sort of came out in 2016 where I decided I wanted to not be bland um, and rather come out saying saying something that I'm actually wanting to say, 
you know, even if it means I get more hate, um, but as a side, as, as a byproduct, I also get more love. Um, yeah. You know, but it becomes, it definitely becomes more polarized. Um, yeah. So, so as a result, Afrikatoon started uh, positioning me very much as this uh, racist sort of person who defends racism um, and uh, and seems to be pro-white. And I don't quite know how it came about because I, I can't think of anything I've ever done that's pro-white. Um, yeah. So so then what I did was I then said to Afrikatoons, no, if they're going to misrepresent a do not have the privilege of of publishing my cartoons. So they've not published my, my stuff now for, I think, about a month or two. Yeah, I remember you had one cartoon um, that was on their page. And now I don't know if every cartoons, uh, I, I don't want to say something false, but I, I just remember that yours had the caption. And it was something bizarre, like how German... Defends racism. Yeah. Defends racism. <laughs> yeah, and 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 every single comment. I think there were like sixty comments under that cartoon. Every single comment, um, brutalized um, African cartoons for an incorrect caption. Every single comment. Um, I I asked uh, them to change the caption uh, because it was not fair, or just remove the caption altogether. Why there be a caption above a cartoon? Anyway, um, they refused. Um, so their their motive was clear. So I then said, well. Up yours, you can't you can't use my cartoons for your own gain. Keeping in mind that they don't they don't anyone to publish their cartoons, and they claim to have a million likes on their page. But um, I've uh, I've got some some dot um, behind the scenes that uh, shows that they have nothing anywhere near a million likes. It's mostly fake. Um, so which which also creates a, a bit of boss situation for them. You know, the reason I ask this kind of question is I'm not trying to create a, a currently non-existent war between you and maybe the other cartoonist community in South Africa. But what I just find quite interesting is the massive contrast uh, you seem to have with, I mean, the, the overwhelming majority of other cartoons. As you said, most of them are very left-leaning. Um, mm. I don't know why. I, I, you know, after listening to some of Jordan Peterson's work, I've heard about how people with certain personality types have certain proclivities towards holding a certain political view, and I don't know if it's maybe that people who are in the well, obviously, okay, people in the, who are in the arts, certainly at a university level, tend to be more left leaning. Um, I'm not sure why that is. You know. I think that, you know, there, there's some interesting. If you listen to Jordan Peterson's lectures on the Big Five personality traits, he goes and he talks about how people who are higher in openness. And that's like, you know, uh, the sort of more artsy side of your thought. Those people tend to correlate with having more liberal political views. Although these are all averages, because you're obviously maybe not the case. Although you've just said, you know, oh, also prostitution is fine. Um, I mean, I'm more liberal I'm more liberal than a lot of my liberal friends. Well, that's what I, I think as well. I think it's, yeah, I think progressivism is, is really, you know, there's liberalism and then it's like sort of morphed into progressivism these days, which is just something completely illiberal. I mean, you can, Americans, they still call it liberalism. They will refer to the liberals, but I mean, I think if John Stuart Mill were here and he were to see what the people who profess to be liberals are, are saying, he would, you know, have a heart attack. Um, cause no, it's, yeah, exactly. it's really done a, a 180 in that regard. I just, I wanted to ask you that question just to sort of, you know, demonstrate. Well, for, no, it's, 
It's it's interesting. I I I'm happy if you are any position, right? You can yeah. be left wing, you can be a socialist, you can be. I mean, I'm friends with socialists and I'm friends with nationalists. Um, but if if you're going to just resort to calling me names um, and not really engaging in any kind of discussion, well, then then I'm afraid there isn't really much hope for for our relationship, and I'll probably end up ridiculing you. Um, just because I can, and because you're being an idiot um, by calling me names. But if you if you if you're willing to engage in a discussion, let's say you genuinely you genuinely do believe that that um, that your position on I don't know um, uh, I don't know, let's say uh, why gay people should be prohibited from getting married. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you can justify this. I'm not going to sit there and call you names, and I'm not going to get into into a heated argument with you, I'm going to sit there and actually chat and debate because now, now you actually are engaging in the battle of ideas. But if I said to you, I want, I think that all drugs should be legalized and you just start calling me names and you, and you, you can't justify anything. Well, in my opinion, you're just being common and I don't have any time for that. Um, and it, it tends, it, it, it seems to, to tend in that direction where, where a lot of radical left People who I've you know interacted with over the last few years love just calling names and not engaging beyond that. Um, I mean that's with the cartoonists too. Um, Zapiro, I will give him some credit. He does engage a little bit, but not much. Um, he he also prefers calling me names. Um, and and um, sort of the, the the guy who runs Afri Cartoons, um, John. He um, this is his. His go-to is, is just calling names. In actual fact, he called me a racist. Um, we were part of a WhatsApp. Um, the, all the major South African cartoonists were in the same WhatsApp group, literally, not 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 in that metaphorical sense. <laughs> but, that you, that, but literally, that, that, that you see in the media, yeah, literally same WhatsApp group, and um, and they started calling me racist uh, because I uh, work with Afri Forum as one of you know they're one of my clients, um, and I said, okay, well, tell you what, let me ask you a question. Just so that just so that we can actually engage in in this claim of yours, please define racism for me, so that we're on the same page. They refused. Um, in fact, um, John, who 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 uh, runs Africa Cartoons and writes the cartoons for EWN, he quickly said, uh, "It's a trap. Don't answer the question." Jerome um, will probably say something along the lines of the generally accepted definition of racism. What do you mean that, you know, I mean, the generally accepted definition, there's a, we can both go to Google or the Oxford dictionary and we can pull the term racism and then we can go according to that because that'd be our benchmark. But if you're just going to make up definitions, then, well, then we can't go anywhere, you know? Um, and so and so not one cartoonist in WhatsApp group, not one, not a single cartoonist answered the question of what it means to be a racist. Um, now, I know what it means to be a racist, and I certainly do not fall into that um, definition. Um, but uh, people who tend to lean to the left have uh, created their own definition these days. Um, and for me, that's not acceptable just to make, make up your own definitions as you go along. No, well, all, all I was going to say was is that one of the major consequences of the sort of postmodern influence in the left these days, mm. among, you know, not, not everyone, I'd like to emphasize that. Um, is that when you start changing the meanings of words, you lose the ability to have a conversation. 
It's like you're trying to, you know, the conversation is, is within the framework of language. You have to use language as a medium to exchange information. The problem is that if every single word in this language has a definition, which is, you know, fluid and changing and, and depends on, on subjectivity only, you lose the entire ability to actually have a conversation. And I think... And the irony... Yeah. Yeah, and the irony... Yeah, so I was saying the, the, the irony is that cartoonists are all about words. Um, well, using as few words as possible to, to get as much of a communication um, out as possible. And um, when they're not willing to engage in um, words, um, then, then it becomes a problem because how, how, how can you... It just does sense to me how you can call someone a name, like a racist or, or misogynist, which I often get as well. Um, when I ask you to explain what you mean by that, you refuse. What are you scared of? What, are you scared that, that, that I'm going to um, respond with a definition that is actually correct? Um, are, you, are you scared that I'm going to show you why what you're saying is false? You know what I mean? It's like a hit and run thing. It's, it's, a, it's cowardly. It's like you, 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 you go up behind someone, slap them on their back and then run. Um, it's not. It's not a, a, a confrontation. And the irony is that cartoonists are meant to be these, these, um, these court jesters. We, we're meant to be reverent. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Irreverent. Uh, You're supposed to say things of, which are politically maybe a bit difficult for yes. other people to say. Yeah, we meant to. We, cartoonists are meant to be these bastions of, of irreverence. Of we're meant to be. We're meant to be self-righteous. That's what satire is. It's, it's us presenting a view that's more more important than your view. I'm, I'm ridiculing you because I think that you're wrong and I'm right. Um, and it's very arrogant. And of course, it's just part of the job. And it doesn't mean I am like that. It's just a, it's just part of the, the job. Um, but, but if you're too scared then to to go beyond, um, a, a single word, then I'm, that that doesn't make you a very good satirist or a cartoonist in, in my view. Yeah, you know, I, I think you make a very interesting point there with the, the sort of purpose of cartoonists in the society. It's almost like, I find it very intriguing how a lot of the, uh, in America certainly, a lot of the people who are becoming like the harbingers of the voice of what they're now calling the intellectual dark web are comedians. And it's interesting yeah. because comedians are these guys who make jokes. They stand on the stage and what they do is they make fun of stuff, which you can't make fun of in everyday life. And be guaranteed that you're not going to get in trouble. They have that unique ability. And I think cartoonists may play a very similar to role, uh, a very similar role to that in society. And so yes, it's, exactly. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, and I mean, the intellectual dark web is, is, is my people. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, look, I mean, your job relies on freedom of speech. So I can see, you know, of course, I think cartoonists would, would be out of their right mind if they were to go against sort of those kind of values. I mean, Look, you mentioned freedom of speech, and there's yeah. a very interesting topic to me. I one of one of my um, one of my flagship um, commentaries in, of of my entire career is is my um, fight for freedom of speech. It's the one thing a lot of people always say to me that they they know about me. I'm I'm very passionate about um, speaking freely, and that means being insulting, and that means being racist, and that means being sexist, and that means all those things. I'm not saying you should be, um, but but if you're going to be racist, I'm not going to have you jailed. I'm rather going to use my free speech to ridicule you and make you look like an idiot. Um, that's, for me, the most powerful way of fighting of fighting bigotry and prejudice and all those sorts of things is by using the exact same tool. Um, yeah. 
I would agree with that. Yeah. But 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 having that, um, the state is is increasing its its clampdown on on these things, and I think that the more the state and the more the rally left are clamping down on our ability to to think freely and to speak freely and to express freely, we start seeing um, the rise of pushback. Um, for example, one of the reasons why I think, um, or at least a motivating um, factor for Trump's presidency is the pushback um, of political correctness. We're seeing a rise of, of independent thinkers or alternative thinkers in South Africa um, because we're con constantly being told um, what to think and, and how not to think. And even people who traditionally or historically um, would have had a different view are now aligning um, because because we see that freedoms are being gradually eroded. Um, but but when you go to jail for for insulting a cop, or if you go to, if you get a fine of 150,000 rand for something you said on Facebook, we're definitely entering a realm of 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 a, of a slippery slope. Um, it's not a good place to be. Um, rather allow the market. Um, of ideas to 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 fight back and to make fun and to ridicule those people. Don't let the state get involved with that kind of thing, um, because then you end up heading towards tyranny, and nobody nobody likes tyranny, and we know this from history, you know, and, and history keeps repeating itself. Yeah, indeed, and that's uh, you know I hope South Africa develops its own intellectual dark web. I think we're slowly forming that through alternative media and our various own circles, but it's a uh, I think it's an ominous but still very good way to end off. I want to ask one last question, and I like to ask this to sure. people who are in the satire business. Have you ever met someone who you've drawn, and what happened if, if you have? Oh, yeah. Um, no, quite a few. Um, I think my most memorable was, was when I had uh, coffee with Helen Zilla. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. And what I did was I actually gave her uh, one of my books as well as a um, wonderfully large print of a cartoon um, featuring her and um, and when I, I met with her I said look I apologize I haven't been too kind on you um, but I, I hope you can you know, take it on the chin um, and she said absolutely that's what I do um, I, if I didn't if I, if, I, if I wasn't able to handle it I wouldn't be in the business of politics and she even took uh, the, 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 the print and she hung it up um, even though it's not terribly favorable to her, but she thinks it's great that 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 um, that she gets ridiculed, um, and uh, that for me is is a sign of of uh, of maturity. Um, I think when 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 other people uh, try and <laughs> get you fined or try and get you uh, I don't know harassed because of the way you drew them, uh, I think that's a sign of immaturity. So. Uh, um, I think I think Helen was probably one of the one of the the loveliest responses I got um, after not being so kind. Funnily enough, um, I also have never really been kind in my work to to Steve Offmer. And when I met him, yeah, um, I, I gave him my 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 book, um, and I said to him, "You must you must uh, understand, this is part of what I do." And he's like, "Absolutely," uh, uh, he says, I've, I'm, "I've got a much thicker skin than you think." He does, and and kudos to him. It was wonderful that he also took it on the chin. Um, 
And so I, I definitely appreciate that. And then, of course, what happens then uh, is that it makes me feel really bad afterwards, and I don't want to then go and, and ridicule them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's horrible. You must never meet anybody then. Whatever meet anyone exactly. at least who you want to make a cartoon. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> but you know, that's actually a, it's such a lovely story to hear about Helen Zilla. I think a lot of, I, I you know I, I can't say that you know had you if you were to meet Julius Malema he would be overly pleased. Um, I don't know. I'm just taking a guess of the guy he kind of seems to be like. But it's it's really lovely to hear that we at least have a politician like Helen Zilla who has a maturity. I may have. I tell you, I may I have think Julius. Yeah. I think Julius, I think Julius will take in the chin as well. I, I definitely think so. I don't like him. Well, I think he's 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 a terrible. He's a well. He's a very astute and very smart politician. Um, but but I you know and I, but I don't agree with him um, on on his politics at all. But I certainly think that he would take cartoons on the chin. I don't think he would. Um, I think I think he would he would be a good response as well. Well, it'd be very interesting to see a meeting between Jeremy Nell and Julius Palema. I think that could be. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I, I, I think I have, I have enormous respect for people who would uh, respond so positively to being made fun of. You're right, it does show maturity. And although, for example, Helen said I've got big political disagreements with her, but I have the greatest respect for her because she really does speak her mind. And it's, it's just like... Oh, for goodness sake. If you look at my cartoons, yeah. um, as, a, as, a, as a member of the DA, I think you would... You'd probably prefer not looking at my cartoons, put it that way. I don't know who told you I was a member of the DA, but they're definitely false. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought, oh, you're just talking hypothetically. Yes. Okay. No, I misunderstood there. Anyway. Oh, no, no, no. Jerem, is is it Jerem or do you actually like to say Jerem? I've always, I've not known this. I've always read a Jerem in my head. But how I'm German you... as in the virus. That's why my first book was called Germ Warfare. Okay. Um, <laughs> very mu- I'd very much uh, uh, like to see the results. You know, you know the famous germ theory is part of uh, scientific um, progress. You know, germ theory, which led to the um, uh, d- plagues being reduced and disease being reduced. Yeah. Well, germ theory with the J, yeah. I, I believe, is going to reduce the plague of social justice warriors. <laughs> Well, that's brilliant, and I can't wait for us to spread it into the air with all due haste. Thanks very much for (laughs) chatting to me on the Rational Standard podcast. Let's hope we can get the germ theory put in the air, and I wish you all the best success in the future, man. Cool, man. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rational Standard podcast. Before I mention all our links and places you can find us, I'd just like to say that we have some really fantastic guests coming up in future episodes, so stay tuned, particularly if you like the subject of economics. Otherwise, catch us on www.rationalstandard.com, like Rational Standard on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Rational Stand, or follow myself at Nick Babaya, N-I-C-K-B-A-B-A-Y-A. Otherwise, I'll see you next time.